On this episode of Real Estate Insiders Unfiltered, we talk about the future of MLS, we talk about Rezo standards, talk about tech companies, how much they struggle in this business. It's going to be an incredible show. Tune in. You talk about it privately, we talk about it publicly. This is the Real Estate Insiders Unfiltered podcast. Welcome again to the Real Estate Insiders Unfiltered podcast. I'm your host, James Wiggins, along with my co-host, Keith Robinson, aka Crazy Uncle Keith. Yes, sir. Talk to us about Sam DeBoard, our conversation today. Yes, he covered the gambit of topics. We talked good. about, it was real good. We talked about lawsuits, the future of MLSs, Fluffy Thor, and the importance of humility and patience. <laughs> Fluffy Thor. Yeah, yeah. If you think it's impossible to squeeze all that into one 40-minute podcast, you, valued listener, are wrong. Brace yourself. It was a good show. Tune in. Sam, super excited to have you on the show. Keith's laughing because I always say something stupid right beforehand. So accurate, accurate, accurate statements. The green room. The someday we should just do green room outtakes for a whole episode because they are golden. There anyway. are some weird ones in there. Uh, sure. Keith said I had Tourette's at one point during one of the outtakes. So <laughs> I think I heard part of it before we started. Oh, that's right. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. Well, so Sam, uh, first of all, we've known each other a long time. Um, one of my fond memories uh, was having Korean barbecue with you in New York for Rob Han's annual event that ends in karaoke. Remember no. those days? I, I remember them. I remember part of them at least. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> those were quite quite the nights in New York. Those were fun. We got to get doing those again. So, um, all right. So, Sam, let's dive in. Certainly, there's no shortage of drama in our industry <laughs> on, uh, these days. About? What are you talking about? Um, I'm sure there'll be some headline this week that we'll have to do another pot on. But um, so you're the CEO of Rezo, so the Real Estate Standards Organization. Tell us and uh, give the viewers and listeners just a little bit of background on you, how you got here, what you do, what Rezo is really fast, and then we'll start diving into all of the fun questions we want to ask. So Sure, sure. Yes. Looking forward to the shenanigans. So, um, <laughs> yeah, so RISO, Real Estate Standards Organization, um, most people would call us a data standards organization. Um, we're a lot like what you'd think of as Bluetooth or Wi-Fi. Um, they're just systems to make technology talk to each other. So, you know, all the different competitors who build headphones on the Bluetooth standard, um, none of those companies like each other, but they agree <laughs> to a universal language. So the headphones can hook up to the phones and the PCs. Same thing with Wi-Fi. You know, your laptop, your headphones can connect in the airport, at your office, at your home. Wi-Fi is an open standard. It's just a universal technology language. So that's what Riso does for the real estate industry. We've got technology languages that allow MLS software to talk to broker software, agent software, computers, um, the, the uh, systems that your consumers see, um, and, and that public advertising, it's all using the same language to move that around. So it's just efficiency for the industry. Um, so please. I got all, go ahead. No, go, please, please. Yeah, I, I got involved, I was a broker originally. So I worked in technology consulting, um, but got into the real estate side, sold as an agent, led a team, became a manager, um, and then was part of the leadership team for a, a multi-state franchise. But I worked with the National Association of Realtors for a long time on MLS policy. And a lot of that's technology. So you end up interfacing with folks who work at RISO. A lot of the MLSs, um, at the time RISO was started 20 years ago mm -hmm. as a committee at NAR. And um, we had 900 MLSs at the time. We needed a universal language for brokers to be able to 
scale technology across these MLS systems. So worked with NAR um, and uh, and Riso folks for many years on some of those technology issues. And um, now I've been with Riso for uh, about four and a half years. So efficiency and the words industry, <laughs> I always find are two words that are opposite of how our industry's operated for a long time. Has it been 20 years, by the way, since Rezo has been been going? I didn't even realize it was that long. It's the committee funny. started to create RETS 20 years ago. Right. Um, and then after about a decade of that work at NAR, then it formed its own independent organization, which is Rezo. So that RETS work continued into Rezo, then that was deprecated, and now you've got the web API and the data dictionary. So that, that group of the same people are still actually there doing a lot of work at Rezo today. Well, we're going to dive into this. The one thing I can say that we all have in common for those of us who've been in the industry, you're either bald like Keith or and and gray hair now. Wow, jeez. <laughs> or, or, I have like a giant. I mean, shots fired. I mean, but I have like for those of you who've seen me, I have this massive gray spot occurring like on the back of my head as well. And I that named, is also probably because of me. That was they're actually all the hairs are named after somebody in the industry that I know. Um, so uh, let's talk about you for a second because we've we've gotten away from this, but I think it's kind of fun to have people hear a little bit about you know our guests. So I'll start with my first question, and then Keith can jump in on a few of these too. So mm -hmm. if you uh, were a superhero, Sam, who would you be and why? Data man. <laughs> yeah, I don't that's, think that's a superhero. That's no, probably um, not. no, no. no. I, I saw this actually last night, and I laughed, and I asked my daughter. She's a big Marvel Marvel fan, yes. and I think we watched all the Marvel movies maybe four times during the pandemic. Yeah. So I asked what she thought, um, and she said, "Fat Thor." You know, <laughs> Fat Thor. <from> <laughs> and I didn't think it was very nice. It is not. Um, yeah, but, but I'm, I'm cut her to, allowance. A good a good spin on it, which is hey, we've all got some super capabilities, but um I've been to conferences with you two. Sometimes we just like to drink beer and play video games. So yeah. there's a bit of a human side to that. I but. just am picturing Sam on a workout with the chains right with now, the, doing with the, the battle ropes. Fat, yes. That that's probably the best one yet is Fat Thor. Like that's just <laughs> I mean, I your daughter is awesome. We're, I want to meet her. We are so, for sure going to end up on a list. I'm going to get you a t-shirt now yes. that, that yes. has that. She's yeah. a true teenager. Yeah. That is awesome. Man, we're going to have her on the pod next. All right, <laughs> next question. Hopefully, uh, hopefully we get a different answer. No, but it was a great one. Uh, favorite book or podcast this year and why? Um, I've been listening a lot to um, Decoder. By mm -hmm. Neil Patel, he's with The Verge. Um, yeah. It's a very kind of techy, geeky group over there. Um, but that show is really just about business decisions. Mm -hmm. um, you get all the biggest technology, different companies in the world, um, and it might be Google one day, and it might be a small nonprofit that runs WordPress one day. But they're just asking, how do you make decisions at your organization? How do you That's set up pod. teams? Um, podcast. Uh, it's podcast. Yeah. 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 Awesome. Um, and so, you know whether it's a rigid divisional structure um, organization, whether it's a functional organization, whether you're so small, it's just everybody at all times. Huh, interesting. Um, but it's really just, uh, you find that people say very, very different things in different organizations, even conflicting things from people running really successful organizations. But yeah. it's a helpful way to look at some of your own decisions that you need to make and say, at least maybe somebody else's experience can help me kind of frame that conversation. I'll check that one out. That's like parenting. <laughs> wow. 
<laughs> Everybody no, this, has conflicting on, opinions about everything. <laughs> no, I'm just, it's just, you were saying it's like one person says one thing, there was another, and I'm like, and that sounds yeah. like parenting and parenting yeah. advice. Yes. Um, all right, last question, then we'll, we'll dive into all of this stuff, because this is always one that I know our viewers and listeners like. So if you could have lunch with one person, current or historical, who would it be? Yeah, this is a hard one, because I know people like to say Mahatma Gandhi or Mother <laughs> Teresa, um, which is probably the right answer. But I feel like the pressure of having to get all the information you needed out of someone like that in lunch would probably not make it an enjoyable lunch. You'd want to yeah. spend a week with them. So I just thought somebody like Anthony Bourdain, somebody oh, who is good answer. fun, intelligent, It'd be a great lunch. Yeah. try anything in the world. Um, you, you might eat some grasshoppers, but it would be a great right, lunch. Right. And it wouldn't be for the shock factor. It would just be because <laughs> right. you're just trying new things. Because I miss fun. him, by the way. Yeah. Like, I miss him. He was so good at bringing food into like this discussion and just calming his, it was just, he could just do something no one else on this planet could do. And they've, they've, no one's been able to replace it either. While so, we're on the topic of audiobooks uh, or books and pods, his uh, Kitchen Confidential read by him, one of my favorite listens okay. is phenomenal. Yeah. It was great. We used to great. binge watch that show all the time. Yeah. I, yeah. Right there with you. That is, I watched every single episode of anything yeah. he's ever done. So, um, all right. So let's dive in. I'm going to hit hard and heavy on these questions. We got a lot to cover and certainly it's an interesting time. So, so first serious question, I'm going to go right to it. Do you think compensation in the MLS is over? Um, and I'm going to give you an attorney answer. Which okay. is, um, Those are always great for pods. <laughs> it, it is. Um, it's, it's, a, it's an oversimplified question. Okay. Um, <clears throat> might the data field change? Yes. Might how that is advertised in the MLS change or whether it is not advertised in the MLS, it might change based on all the legal things happening around the MLS right now. Um, but the MLS isn't just data fields. It's not just an IDX feed. It's not just a website. Um, all these brokers working in MLSs have already agreed to compliance rules to cooperate on a lot of things. And, and those include, um, you know, duty of honesty, fiduciary duties, but also duties to other brokers. So as they're licensed by the state, as their MLS participants, um, however they decide to do compensation in the future based on whatever changes, which we still don't know, right. um, it'll still exist for MLS participants. It may exist broker to broker, like in commercial real estate. Um, but in general, I would think because of the information and the compliance and cooperation in the MLS, it will exist heavily between MLS to MLS participants. So it will still be there, but um, you know, your guess is as it good may as not be a data field or something in it. Mm -hmm. not, not allowed to be displayed as a field, right? So let's go, let's break this down because I just had this conversation this morning where somebody made this comment that now that you know this the field will be optional you know you can put instead of a penny or a dollar you can put zero that his words were the mls is over and i was like what makes you say that because i <laughs> I, I, I was his, like i don't i love his smile <laughs> i i just but i but i like it's such an extreme perspective i'm going well is was it just literally about a data field i'm so confused because i thought the mls was about cooperation to your point and rules and how we manage data and data security and like tell me let's go a little bit deep on this on understandings i think people really get confused on sort of what is what is the primary points of an mls and its purpose yeah it's compliance it's rules 
I mean, it sounds really nice. We've said cooperation and compensation for a long time because that sounds like sales and fun. Um, and, and it was a good description. But even if compensation weren't there, which is just one of the rules, it's just one of the sets of rules how to compensate right. one another. Um, it's about compliance. So whether you know you use the applications, the data feeds, the apps that come from the MLS, et cetera, it all goes back to do we have rules that people agree to because it makes for a better marketplace? That's right. what the MLS is. Um, and so the compensation one is particularly interesting because you've always been able to put $1 in. And I know we've got arguments about whether that was described as $1 or zero. But from a business perspective, it's really neither here nor there. It was always a mm-hmm. dollar. Um, it didn't make a difference. You were basically not compensating someone at that point. And so for that to be changed to zero um, as an optional sort of thing really doesn't make much of a difference. Now, yeah, the difference between zero and a dollar is literally a dollar. Like, I don't <laughs> what is the what is the uproar over mm-hmm. from from your side? Right. Like for people who are saying, well, this will mean MLSs will go away. That, that just doesn't map, right? Well, we're also in a constrained market right now. And when transactions are down, lots of people get scared, they react, they lash out. Um, there's doomsday scenarios. So, I mean, we are talking about scenarios where maybe you're not allowed to even have that field or display that field. That changes mm-hmm. things significantly. Mm-hmm. Um, but the dollar to zero does not. I'm in Seattle. I've been a broker in the Northwest MLS market for a long time. Um, so it was kind of a non-issue here when they said, sure, it can be zero. That um, was uh, October last year that that was fully implemented. Uh, Am I correct with that? I don't fully remember, but you're probably right. Close to that. Yeah. And the changes, the data that I saw, I mean, technically the DOJ referenced it in their, <laughs> in right. their involvement with no select is it really didn't yeah. do anything. So, well, and, and the, yeah, yeah, the point is not whether or not rates changed. It's just that the MLS just kept operating as it has yeah. the brokers kept operating so we can have arguments about you know what that required field um means but the one dollar versus zero really does nothing to the market at all do you think all mls's are going to move to this i mean is this going to be the whole i mean i know nar came out and said that you can do it publicly so i'm assuming all mls's will move to optional is that a fair assessment in your opinion uh, i wouldn't be able to speak for them it seems likely a lot will um, it doesn't really seem if it actually makes a difference legally, then maybe because it doesn't make a difference functionally. Do, do you have thoughts about what if it is removed altogether and it becomes sort of this every offer now has a buyer agent commission written into it or like what are your thoughts on if it goes that route? What happens? Yeah, I, I think there you know, it looks more like commercial. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and in commercial, most folks know the buyer's agent will go out to the listing broker and say, here's an offer and here's what I'd like to get paid as a buyer's agent on the commission. Now, the commercial folks double side more than residential. Um, I assume they do. I don't have statistics to show that. Um, but it does seem like that's a more likely scenario when you have both um, the need to proactively as a buyer's agent go negotiate and in a lot of cases, not a real full MLS that the commercial folks are working in. Right. Uh, on the residential side, if you've still got all this transparency for an MLS, brokers who know each other participate in the same MLS and then independently need to go to other MLS participants and say, I'm a buyer's broker. I've got an offer. I would like to be compensated with, you know, X. X, sure. Um, 
it's going to take training. It's going to mm-hmm. take a lot of training for folks to get through that. But we already have a lot of states who are working on this kind of legislation. Washington State just passed legislation to require a buyer agency contract um, to get paid at closing. Now, that can happen late in the game before sure. an offer goes in, before an offer is signed. Um, but I just think we'll continue to see extensions of that to make it more clear to the consumers and to make it more clear to the agents what they need to do because they just haven't had to in a lot of cases for a long time. Right. Yeah. It's That's, a conversation be- they're not used to having, right? Yeah. Yeah. A lot of them, a lot of them are not. They're used to getting a lead from a website and opening a door and then starting to talk about the process. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting. Keith and I were having this discussion he actually brought it up in a text chain we were having about what happens. Oh, it's, it's hypothetical. I mean, we were, we were going. How does the how does all this affect the portals? You know, for that are charging referral fees. So that was a really interesting comment he made. He goes, "What what if the what if the buyer broker representation agreement is required to be signed at first contact?" And so the buyer meets the agent, not through Zillow or Realtor or Ojo or anybody else yet, and then they sign an agreement, and now they go start inquiring all these websites, which they do. I mean, it's interesting because there could be an effect on that business model if the time in which somebody's required to sign that agreement is changed. Because right now, 12 states, Keith, there's 12 states require correct. buyer broker agreements. Washington will be 13, effective January 1, I believe, if I'm correct with that statement. And we all know that most of these states are going to move towards this. At least if you're listening, you better be. That's um, our call. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, that's interesting how that might affect other facets of the business that no one's talking about. Do you have any thoughts on that? Are we off on that? Um, the devil's always in the details here. Right. You know, we like to talk about buyer agency agreements as if they're vanilla and they're boilerplate and they're just not. Um, right. There are seven different ways you could probably do a buyer's agency agreement in Washington state. Um, so you could sign a buyer agency agreement for one property showing. You could mm-hmm. sign it for one week. Um, you could sign it exclusively for two years on any property they find. So you would imagine smart people with those kinds of businesses are going to find ways for a customer to click through an app or a website that says buyer agency for this one property for the next X amount of time. If we show it to you, we're going to represent you um, as your buyer's broker. And then if consumers feel the comfort level that, okay, I'm only signing up for this one home, they're probably still going to use the technology they like best. Um, but that that is to be seen still. Yeah, our thought exercise was the other way where someone has signed a buyer broker agreement with an agent already and then ends up on Zillow and right. going through that channel. Yeah. But right. there'll be uh, future lawsuits. Well, yeah. We Cause then sounds like, new, sounds yeah. like new podcast episodes for us in the future. So that'll be fun. <laughs> that'll be fun. What about no, it is a good exercise to go through though, because yeah. you're right. How many of us actually read the disclosures that we get on apps and websites? Yeah. No one. Right. Um, yeah. So you just hit the button, right? The scenario. Yeah. Right. Yeah. What d- does this, cause or create MLSs to, I don't really believe in revolutions, but I do believe in evolutions. How do MLSs evolve because of this, because of the lawsuits or in general, what does an MLS of the future, regardless of the lawsuits, right? We could throw the whole topic out, but what does an MLS of the future look like? What direction should MLSs be pointed towards to be provide massive value for the industry and be valid? Yeah, I think we kind of started into that on the compliance side, Mm -hmm. sort of restating your value. What did your brokers initially create you for? And it was for shared rules. That was it. It wasn't for technology. It wasn't for listing alerts. Um, Certainly, they wanted good data. 
you know, for CMAs or doing comps and that sort of thing. But restating your value really at the leadership level of saying the most important things our brokers ever asked us for is common rules Mm -hmm. so that they can work together and have an efficient, transparent marketplace um, and have liquid inventory that their brokers can, you know, help consumers buy and sell. So, you know, you start there. I hear a lot of folks today saying, well, you know, MLSs are now data services companies. It's true. Um, and they do have unique, timely, accurate data that doesn't exist anywhere else until it goes out in their feeds. Um, but everybody's a data services company at this point. <laughs> right, right. Tesla's a data service company last I read about them, right? Right, right. Yeah, so, yeah. And that may be the most recognizable product that your customers see, um, especially at the agent level, who mm-hmm. you know, rarely does an agent spend the time to figure out the governance and the board and how that all works at the MLS level. But for your brokers to understand and for your leadership to understand the most important thing you do is to define those rules and to enforce those rules so that you do have not just good business practices, but you maintain that best accurate set of data um, so that the brokers value you for that. And it's pretty straightforward, but it's not it's not the pitch we've been hearing a lot recently. Mm -hmm. It's scary to me that we're having that anyone is having a conversation about MLSs and their existence. Because I, I remember I've been in real estate my entire life, literally. And I remember when my parents would go down what they called multiple, I don't know what that means, but they went to go down and get the book every month. I remember this, literally. The book. The book. Yeah. It was yep. a book. And I remember when Boris came out, it was a DOS-based MLS search. I mean, I'm really dating <laughs> myself right now, but I remember this stuff. And then if you think about the way it is around the rest of the world, this is the most this is the best marketplace that has been created for buying and selling a property is in the United States. Yeah. Like not close by the way, not even like countries don't have MLSs. And so uh, you, you see these topics and I'm like, look, we have to make sure we we maintain what these are and what the integrity of these systems are. Um, because without it, it is a bad scenario for consumers. They won't know what's for sale, not to mention (laughs) comp data and everything else. So, yeah, two things. Um, Keith, James dyes his hair, right? I think um, so. Yeah. He's yeah. talking about MLS books and, and dogs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. Yeah. yeah. Um, 100% natural. Okay. <laughs> Lucky you. Yeah. Um, but to your greater point, so is mine. we have an MLS forum coming up in Paris later this year. Um, can I go? Have- they're asking us. Yes, you can absolutely come. You need a speaker or anything? I, <laughs> I'll go for flights and hotel. <laughs> we'll negotiate a little bit after we're here. All right. Sounds um, good. They're asking us to come. The The trade organization for European real estate profession is asking us to come speak at this event, to talk about standards, to talk about MLS compliance rules and governance. Um, and while our federal regulators seem to not have the same understanding of the value yeah, that MLS right. brings to our market, um, that's what the rest of the world is asking for because they see the benefits. So, we can argue about how many of those components of an MLS need to exist in each marketplace and everyone can do compensation differently. But to your point, this existential question, does the MLS go away? Um, if we want to have a terrible real estate marketplace and have sellers pay $10,000 for an ad without even being sure they're going to sell their home. Sure. We can go to another, another model, but we've seen in most marketplaces in the world, they are nowhere near as efficient as ours. Yeah. 
So, I got go ahead. Go ahead. No, you want to go deeper go. on that? Because I'm going way well, off left. I field. was actually just if yeah, I if ahead. I don't mind, I think I'll it's relevant because yep. it, it just fits. So I, I had this discussion this morning with a with a lawyer. I won't name who, but we were having this discussion about CCP, and and this individual was asking my thoughts on it. And I really want to get your thoughts on it too, Sam. So you know, CCP is clear cooperation. Yeah, I'm sorry, clear cooperation yep. policy. I, yep. Sam knew that. Listeners, yeah, viewers, I, clear yep. cooperation policy. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, the conversation was like, what is your take on it? And and what do you think the government's going to do with regards to Because that's partially what kicked off all these investigations. And I've been very vocal about the fact that I think CCP is an extremely well-intended policy. Executed, not the greatest, depending upon the MLS that you're in, but the idea of making sure that that inventory is being advertised to the greatest public population possible is the right policy. But I really question whether the FTC or DOJ wants to see that removed. So that's kind of a multi-pronged question of your thoughts on CCP. How could it be better? And then what does that look like if it stays or is removed by the federal regulators? Yeah. And a couple disclaimers quickly, you know, RISA is not involved in that policymaking process. It's an NAR policy. Um, RISA is not involved or named in any of the FTC, DOJ class action lawsuits. Um, but I was the, um, the liaison for MLS and data management at NAR the year that that policy went through. So part of my job there was to make sure that the committee members could get what they wanted out of that policy um, and then move through to passage. Now, as you know, there's a lot of sausage making involved in that process. So um, folks, you know, do have improvements they would like to be made to the policy. So from the practitioner side, the original idea was... Um, much like a lot of rules at the association and broker level, it's for consumer protection that if an agent's trying to advertise publicly with a listing, but they're not putting it out there for other brokers, what's the intent there? Is that intent really there to help the seller? And the general answer was usually no. Um, but the intent was to immediately require input into the MLS. Well, the brokers came back and said, we don't have staff who are available on Saturday. So it became 24 hours and then one business day. Um, you've got the questions that we've talked about before is should it only be shared as an office exclusive within a franchise, within a brand, within a statewide brokerage? Can a national brokerage do it? There's no simple way to work through all those things um, without making some compromises there. So, you know, to your point, a lot of folks have said, why do we even have office exclusives? Well, they've always been there and there was not a will to tell people you can't do office exclusives. Um, and so that's how they came together. So, yeah, I think, um, I don't know what the federal government really thinks about that. Um, <laughs> I think there's there's a real frustration in organized real estate right now that um, there've been these back and forths between organized real estate and federal agencies for decades. And one side wins one time, one side wins the other time, and then changes are made. But the last time around, the industry said, okay, we'll make these changes. NAR started making these changes. And then the DOJ said, no, actually, we don't like the settlement that we agreed to. Right. Um, and NAR went on appeal, but there's still this dark cloud coming from these agencies <clears throat> that say, we don't like what you're doing, but we're not going to tell you what yet. We don't actually know what we want yet. Um, and it really seems bad for business for an industry that 
affects, I don't know what the numbers are today, but we've always said maybe 20% of the U.S. economy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, of the GDP, yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And so these, you know, flaky back and forth positions that put everybody on their heels, um, they're just problematic for a really important- The lack of clarity, right? Like we just need clarity so we can move forward. Right, right. And, And it's bad enough for the professionals, but then when consumers are just trying to buy and sell homes and everyone they're working with is caught up in this turmoil, and is spending gobs of money and time on mm-hmm. subpoenas and depositions and trials. Um, it just seems really, really inefficient. Yeah. All right, Keith, I know you want to yeah. take it a different direction. So I'm so- going totally off. Let's set lawsuits and all that stuff aside for just a minute. One of, one of the things that I find interesting about what you do is you have a bunch of different constituents <laughs> rats at, right who feel really really different and so i actually have a leadership question for you how do you navigate working with you've got tiny little independents you've got massive right you've got, you've a got whole, zillow on there yeah, you've got nar on there how yeah. do you, as a leader how do you navigate? What's the number one skill you think you need? And if you were to give some advice on how to navigate anyone trying to lead a varied group of constituents, what would it be? And don't say alcohol. Well, no, that's that's a <laughs> given. Yeah, that's a given. That sometimes exacerbates the problem. Yeah. <laughs> um, Facts. We've been to conferences. So, yeah, it's a tough question. I think for background, so people know, yeah. Rezo has a board of directors of about 20 directors. We've mm-hmm. got 700 something companies, most of the big tech companies, brokerages, MLSs, associations, some government agencies, assessors, wide range of member organizations. So the members elect 20 directors. And so in that boardroom, you've got CoStart and Zillow and Realtor.com. You've got (laughs) MRED and CRMLS and FrightMLS. You've got Realogy Anywhere leading RE and Remax. Um, so yes, there are definitely competing interests in the room. Um, I think sometimes people think a 20 person board would be unwieldy or difficult Mm -hmm. to work with, but I actually think having worked with these folks for quite a while now that it actually is part of the compliance process. Everyone Mm -hmm. in that room Mm -hmm. knows what the competing interests are. Everyone's very aware that you're not going to have four people in a room making a decision um, if you've got to sit up in front of that board and make a statement, you know that those other leaders, strong voices, people who will speak up. <laughs> that uh, board no. has got some yeah. weight on that board. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. So really, you know, from a staff management position, it's really just p- about putting policy and processes in place and then letting these leaders be the ones to enforce that. And obviously we've got an attorney and we've got an sure. anti-case policy um, but I really haven't had to deal with issues in that space because all of those big, strong voices are going to be the first ones to step up if there were, you know, any sort of uh, an argument going in the wrong direction. Do you think so, increasing the board to a thousand members might help? <laughs> usually, said think, no one ever. I think. Uh, I think <laughs> we just say no. Say, I'm just, just ignore no. that comment. Yeah, just say no. Well, I'll say no. It's a yeah. difficult thing at NAR inside <laughs> the board. So everyone knows that's what we're referencing here. Um, and it's a difficult thing to change. So, yeah. um, yes, I think 20 well, is a good Do you have, do you want do you have a, a comment? Skill? I, I want to, I'm not, I'm, you gave a great answer and I'm going to, I'm going to peel it back just a little further. Is there a skill that you feel moves to the forefront when you're, when you're managing all those strong voices? 
Because yeah, candidly, this is a selfish question, right? We we run a, we run a franchise organization with six hundred plus uh, voices that we have to think about and pay yeah. attention to and manage, right? So uh, I'm selfishly trying to to pick your brain a little bit for a skill that I want to develop. Um, you know, I think we all probably view ourselves as pretty smart people. Mm-hmm. Um, I think probably humility and patience, which are kind of hard to learn at yeah. times. But knowing that a lot of times you do a much better job being the last person in the room to speak, Mm. um, a lot of times you'll find out before you speak that someone else is actually going to negate what you think in your head is the easy answer and, um, you know, a a debate that's not needed. Um, I managed agents at one point. My office I was designated manager for had 225 agents. Mm -hmm. Um, There's a lot of different opinions. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, yeah. You should go. Um, And just trying to drive a mandate down um, from leadership doesn't usually go very well. So maybe, you know, um, you guys know working with agents and brokerages, maybe your edges get burnt off and you learn a little humility through that. Mm. Humility and patience. That's a really good answer. I think it's interesting the comment that, that, I think what's interesting about your board is the diversity of that board, by the way. So it's, it's, it's all competing. There's competing interests in that room coming from very different perspectives, but somehow everyone comes together in the end and figures out policy that seems to work. Um, and it's, it's, it's one of those things I always tell people as well. Like you're, you're, the people you go to and listen to that guide you should be from a lot of different backgrounds because you're going to learn things from other industries or learn things from other perspectives. I've been very vocal about like strat planning in real estate associations should have half the people on it that are not from residential real estate, mm-hmm. like just from other sectors so that you're getting a really interesting take on things versus this sort of, you know, bubble. I'm not saying that not everybody in, in you know, the Rizzo board is from real estate, but there are different interests involved in that with um, that group. So, uh, by the way, I was looking at that board as an impressive group of people <laughs> that you get to work with, by the way. So it really is. It's an honor to have those people. Um, and it, it is a big, a big group of, um, like we said, very vocal, influential leaders it, to your strat planning point. Um, it's pretty amazing to see pure business people in there with ideas about how, you know, you can grow your membership and brokerage people saying we need to do a, B and C and push this policy over to this organization for efficiency and then technical folks who are talking about, hmm. you know, moving to, you know, API agnostic standards. And um, it is a highly technical set of products, but at the board level, there's rarely a technical conversation. Right. Because we've got hundreds and hundreds of subject matter experts in the work groups who are building these products. And we just call our, our standard specifications products. Um, and they're running those through a committee structure that's got checks. They're giving feedback to their company to make sure if they're building their own technology products, they're hearing what's coming down the line. There's mm. open comment period. So by the time something gets to the board, it's, it's usually it, it's exactly the kind of thing that a board should have to make a decision on. Mm-hmm. If, if there's mm-hmm. a question, then it's probably a great time for the board to be weighing in. A lot of the time, the work's all been done in terms of a, a standard spec before that. What's Rizzo working on now? Give us like the next 12 months of projects that you guys are doing to, you know, enhance the MLS or make things better for the industry. Yeah. So this will be the only one that sounds a little bit technical. 
um, which is Data Dictionary 2.0. It's 2.0 for a reason. It's a major change. We're running, you know, 25,000 tests on the metadata of every MLS server, testing 300,000 records to make sure that we don't just have a rule. We don't just have a standard spec. We have a certification platform that tests this. Um, so that's going to be a big um, phase of work for the industry. It's going to hurt a little bit, mm. uh, but the industry has agreed to it. The vendors, the brokers, the MLSs have agreed to make these changes. And then, you know, you're going to hear some pain from everybody all the way up and down the stack. The MLS software providers have to implement. The MLSs may need to change some names of some fields. The brokers are going to have to explain changes to their agents, the agents, the reports, and the consumers. Um, but, you know, the good thing is when we move forward with something like that, there's usually been years of research done. Right. Um, and, and the membership has come together and said, we're going to do that. So what's the, uh, what's the real world benefit from all of that technical stuff you just said? What does that mean to the agent when this 2.0 dictionary comes out? How does it benefit them? Yeah. Um, so your systems are going to talk to each other much more yeah. easily. <clears throat> okay. It's not even just as much as current systems is allowing new tech to come into the space. Got it. Standardization, we, right? Like, right, right. Yeah. Which we actually haven't talked about that much on on this. Uh, <laughs> on yeah. Um, which is why my hands are up, and I'm excited right now. Yeah. Go, um, go nuts. You got the mic. We see a lot of prop tech companies, new startups, come into this industry with great ideas and die. Mm-hmm. They come in. They work for one broker. They work in one MLS. People love the idea and they try to scale and they run out of money. Yep. Um, it is very, very common. Our, we know our processes and our bureaucracy are so difficult to get through. Once you get through just getting data access and finding broker customers, you shouldn't have to map 300,000 lookups to each other because these guys want to call country road, country roads, and these guys want to call it country's road. Um, we just looked at architectural styles <laughs> yeah. across all MLS data sets there are 1,500 different ar- architectural styles in MLS systems. Some of them are MDRN.CMT um, <laughs> because there was no compliance requirement to standardize mm-hmm. those things in the past. Um, so we've got about <clears throat> half a million different field lookups in MLS systems in our industry, and probably only 20% of those are actually unique things. Um, so when you want a new tech product to work, and your partner in Chicago says, this is awesome. And you bring it to Seattle and they say, well, it's going to take us six months to convert and map. That's so true. That's where technology goes to die. Um, (laughs) And it's why an agent has to input a listing into the MLS and into a broker back office system and into another reporting system. That's all getting a lot better. It's been Mm -hmm. a lot better the last 10 years, Um, but there's still a long way to go. Yeah. I look at a lot of products. That's part of what I do every week is I do demos on new products. And mm-hmm. to your point, one of the first questions I always ask <laughs> is, are, is your product MLS data required? Yes, no. And then if the answer is yes, how many MLSs are you in today? Right? Because if they're in six, it's going to take forever until they are at a scale at which I can plug them into our company. And to your point, my understanding is anyway, if and this is probably a little pie in the sky, but if we could all agree to use the same language, quote unquote, right, or the same fields, then it would be much easier to scale new technology. And the cost comes down. Correct. For everyone. Yeah, for, for everybody. For, for everybody yeah. uh, right. Yeah. Is that accurate? 
Absolutely. I mean, we yeah. don't argue that Bluetooth works. We yeah, know it. Right, 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 right. We right. know that, you know, tech companies like Apple layer on some of their special things on top sure. of that. And that's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, but we don't argue that it works. So, you know, you've still got tech companies coming in, being offered a RETS feed from an MLS, which is not going to be standardized. By and large, right. it's just not. Uh, it wasn't tested with that kind of scrutiny back then. And if folks are not being offered a web API feed, this data dictionary compliant, then they're going to build tools that won't scale across yep. MLSs right. um, without a whole lot of work. So mm-hmm. that's, that's really the step is to get people to use that certified data feed and to have MLSs push to, for that data feed to be the one that their data consumers use and not the old non-standardized versions. So we've got, we got to get this thing wrapped up here in a second. Yep. So we have two questions. I'll ask one, Keith will, Keith will wrap us up at the end. And this is a, you know, you can, you can put your CEO hat on or just Sam's hat. Where do you think, like your crystal ball, what is, Keith and I have been very vocal about how we think the industry will look. And we're obviously like, we're talking very outwardly about this sky's not falling, there's gonna be changes, et cetera. What is your opinion of how this industry looks in the next 24 to 36 months? That could be association, MLS, just the industry, but just kind of like, what's your general sense? You're close to all this stuff. You're talking with everybody in the hallways. What do you think? Well, I think what you're seeing on the brokerage side is going to affect everybody else. There's still a crunch out there. Um, Mm -hmm. Financially, there's a crunch. Um, The economy, you know, it's kind of, I wouldn't say it's shaky, but we're just not really sure which direction it's going to go. Um, everybody's costs have gone up with inflation, um, but they're doing fewer transactions and that's going to funnel through, um, obviously the, yeah, yeah, Yeah. good times. That's yeah. Good times in residential real estate. (laughs) (laughs) We've all been through a few of these cycles. Um, and so we know, you know, what that does to, to brokers, vendors, eventually to associations and MLSs, but MLS is usually the last thing anyone wants to give up. Um, which is, again, a testament to the value of those organizations. Mm. Um, but I think we're going to see a lot more focus on being prepared mm. for what might come. And, and you've talked about this a lot yourself, too, in terms of people being able to describe their value, whether it's the MLS or whether it's an agent being able to describe their value um, and, and do it really well in an elevator pitch. Yeah. Um, you talked about the 189 things list that buyers agents do that I think NAR has. Um, but how can you explain that in two minutes mm-hmm. to someone who kind of doesn't want to hear it? Mm-hmm. They kind of want to just go see the home. And have to <laughs> right. Home. right. Um, right. So we're going to have to have real a lot of sales 101 training, I think, for agents, even if things don't change. Huge benefit to them mm-hmm. to be able to have that kind of training anyway. Yeah. it's a great point. All right. Keith? Last one. We'll wrap it up with this. This is one I always end on. If you were an agent or someone operating and owning a brokerage today, what's the one thing you would implement to help your business going into 2024? Well, it's going to be similar, but it's going to be that, you know, back to basics training. Um, You know, elevator pitch is one thing, but um, any down cycle, it's getting people in the office, into training, into systems, into um, you know, that kind of lead gen follow-up nurturing. Um, it's not sexy, but it is what makes business happen. And if we're going to be in a shrinking pool, you've got to go out and get yourself a bigger share of that. Um, kind of, you know, broker 101, you've still got to pay your bills and your bills are going up. So, um, maybe the pie will grow, but if the pie is shrinking, you've got to go get a bigger slice right now. Yep. 
Sam, so great to have you on. We really appreciate your perspective. Learned a lot. Um, always insightful. And, you know, members, I think, who aren't familiar, listeners and viewers who aren't familiar with Rezo, they now understand the importance of it. Mm-hmm. Um, those of us who deal in tech, we know how important it's been to help <laughs> get rid of some of the problems in our business. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like it. If we could just move it along faster, you know, like just get some of this stuff moving along a little bit faster, but we're getting there. Yeah. Um, Sam, again, thanks for being here. We can't wait to have you back on. And hopefully when you're back on here next, it's a different conversation with less drama. So we'll see. Uh, probably Ooh. not. Probably not. <laughs> That's all right. It's good fodder for more shows. So That's right. That's always right. good being on with you guys. Thanks, awesome. Sam. Thanks, buddy. Thanks. Listen, we care about you deeply, which is why we never want you to miss an episode of this podcast. Subscribe now. It's just a push of a button.